0: Hello, everybody. Woohoo! Welcome back to Space Talk. I am your host, Athena Brensberger, and I am so, so excited to be back on here, especially talking about such an exciting subject. Uh, so, this is episode five titled NASA's Newest Astronaut Class. Um, so many, so many cool things that are going on um, just within the space era right now um and specifically about people returning to the moon um this this is so so this is what this is all about um this is what the artemis generation is not only returning finds the Artemis generation. Um, And what better name, honestly, than than Artemis. Um, So in this um, episode, we're going to go over um, what that means. So what what this new 10 astronaut candidates um, program, what this actually means. Do they actually go to space? Are they automatically picked to go to the moon or Mars? Um, Who gets to go? What training will they undergo? And what is the timeline to launch? Uh, And then comparison to the Apollo program and the technology then and where we're at now. So jumping on in with um, when this all started, I don't know where you were at during the beginning of um, 2020 during COVID when quarantine first happened. But in March of 2020, uh, when a lot of lockdowns happened, um, I actually was over at my dad's place. And um, this is when NASA announced their astronaut applications. So they opened it to the public. And um, while looking at the application, although I I didn't qualify, um, just reading through it was so exciting because here you are in front of your computer applying to a program that is monumental for human spaceflight. So, it turns out about 12,000 people total applied, and 10 of them got selected. And uh, that is who the new astronaut class is. So, I'm going to start off by reading off their names, and then we're going to deep dive into uh, the history of the Apollo program and what the Artemis program is all about and how that compares and contrasts to private entities such as SpaceX. Um, and other companies that are working with NASA right now, such as Boeing, for a Starliner, um, and so on and so forth. So the first names um, that I'm going to read off are the new class of astronaut candidates. There's Nicole Ayers, Marcos Barrios, Christina Birch, Denise Burnham, Luke Delany, Andre Douglas, Jack Hathaway, Anil Menon, Christopher Williams, and Jessica Whitner. Now they have quite uh, an impressive background. Each and every one of these candidates. Um, I highly recommend you check out the NASA article that was published about this. It was um, the the press release just released yesterday, titled "NASA Selects New Astronaut Recruits to Train for Future Missions." I'll give you a summary of this, so you can do your own reading um, on your own time. But what's interesting is only two out of ten of them. Um, don't come from like a, a governmental defense sector, such as the US Navy, Air Force, military. And I was like sitting and thinking, hmm, I wonder why this is the case. I mean, it's kind of obvious at first where you think, well, you know, you, you have to be able to fly. You have to be able to have a certain amount of hours flying certain types of jets, which, which tend to be military. Also, this is a government funded agency. And so um, having that background coming from other sectors is sort of a an understanding that um, they're well trained in what is to come and what they should be prepared for working with NASA. And so, for instance, um, let's see, I'm going to grab one of the names. Um, I will look at Marcos berrios 37 years old, uh, was a U.S. Air Force major, actually is currently a U.S. Air Force major, uh, grew up in Puerto Rico. And, uh, Let's see, it says uh, aerospace engineer. So yes, this this is a really important thing. Of course, you know, has his degrees, a doctor in aeronautics and astronautics from Stanford University. Some of the standard qualifications to even become an astronaut or an astronaut candidate is for one having some kind of STEM-related master's degree, having at least a thousand hours of piloting a jet aircraft or at least three years of experience in a STEM-related field. And of course, um, once you undergo your training, you have to be able to pass the NASA physical before even being considered. So this is, first of all, just to get selected as one of the candidates. So each of these individuals, of course, qualified. Um, Something else that's kind of interesting I want to point out is the average age here is, let's see, I would say 32, 37, 35, 36, 42, 35, 39, 45, 38, 38. So I say average age is about 36, 37 years old. And um, I think that's really exciting to, to kind of recognize. I think that, I mean, I just turned 30 and I don't know about you guys, but right around 25, sometimes I think people might have a quarter life crisis or they hit 30 and they're like, you know, w- what do I have going, going on for me right now? What else should I be doing? What? And the thing is by age 39, 45, I mean, You start now at at 30 or even 35 um, training for for certain things, like uh, getting a pilot's license, uh, going back to school, finishing a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, um, doing conducting research. Uh, There's still so much time uh, to do that and still be able to go to space. Uh, And again, this is specifically through NASA. This is we're talking about the NASA um, class for uh, astronaut candidates. But if you were to maybe tune into last uh, last episode, which was two days ago, um, sorry, not yesterday's episode, the episode before that, so it was on Friday, that one kind of talked about, well, you know, there isn't necessarily an age limit. I mean, look at William Shatner, for instance, and Wally Funk um, being over the age of 80, uh, both of them. And so that is more, that's a whole other option. So there isn't really a cap, I would say, just as long as you remain healthy. Um, And then obviously go go more of the tourist route. But now getting back into this more standardized pathway to get to space for um, the NASA recruits. uh, there there There's so many cool things. I took a bunch of notes here that I wanted to chat with you guys about. Um, So what I'm going to do is rewind time a little bit. And um, I'm going to first kind of dive into the name Artemis and why I believe they were they chose that. I mean, they've kind of already explained why they chose it. I always personally love the name Artemis. Um, just really, really love it. Lo- loved it before they even announced it um, as their new mission to the moon. But the original moon mission was the Apollo mission, and in Greek mythology, Apollo and Artemis were were twin brother and sister, um, and Artemis being the the uh, goddess of of the hunt. And strategy. Um, I think that that's that's so so powerful and so cool um, to keep in mind, and to have this um, as their as their new lunar mission is something that is uh, is showing bravery, endurance, and strategy. And on top of that, of course, as I mentioned before, having the first woman go to the moon, um, and of course, again, also the first person of color going to the moon. And so that is such a soothing name. And I think really exciting. Um, And the the Apollo missions, unfortunately, didn't last like super long. Um, So the Apollo missions were so important for humanity, just globally, to to have a time period where we saw people walking on the surface of another celestial body. That was something that was achieved with technology that you might have heard before, is less advanced than our cell phones that we have all right now in our hands or sitting on our desk. And that is just so phenomenal to think about that. Wow, how could we have advanced so far with our technology and yet haven't returned to the moon? And the thing is a lot of it is it's, it's politically driven and that unfortunately kind of gets in the way um, of, of pursuing this. So I'm just thankful and happy that at least now we're moving into a whole new era of, of lunar missions specifically. So something part of this program is the rocket that will get everyone to the moon. Um, So this is known as the SLS, Space Launch System. Um, It's still being worked on and and being built. These these things do take quite a a long time. Um, However, I was recently at NASA. This was also um, right before the applications opened. So um, just before March of 2020. It was for the launch of SpaceX's uh, CRS twenty, so this was a recargo mission to the International Space Station, and they already had um, the first booster uh, built and ready, and and it was um, filled with with mock payload weight. So I think it was actually just composed of water. Um, and this was what was uh what was like already being built was already succeed like had completely developed, and so that's something that at least we have to look forward to um as far as that development goes um however, it was originally estimated to to launch around like twenty twenty four now it's at least the earliest would be twenty twenty five um everything that I've been reading recently, so this is still something that's going to be kind of taking a while, I would say. So at least these astronauts have plenty of time um, to train. Uh, Which, speaking of training, the total is about two years that each of these new astronaut candidates have to undergo before graduating to reach astronaut status. And they have to go through several different things, uh, such as spacewalk training, uh, you might have seen astronauts in their suits and in a massive pool that 's known as nasa 's neutral buoyancy laboratory and This is really important for them to learn not only how to have a spacewalk how to, how to walk on say at the outside of the international Space Station if any repairs are needed or emergency um, yeah emergency repairs or servicing missions. But also to know how to maneuver the hands, their dexterity, the the movements of the body as well in these huge, bulky, extravehicular spacesuits. And so um, definitely, uh, I think it's, it's going to be really fun to follow their journey and their training that they're going to be undergoing, um, especially in this, in this pool. I think that's going to be really cool. Um, on top of that, they are going to have to, as I mentioned, have the 1,000 hours of flying. Um, so specifically, they're going to have to fly a NASA's fleet of T-38 jet aircraft. Now, if you haven't seen these aircraft, they're really, really cool. Um, I, I haven't seen them in person. I've seen them online. Um, I don't even think I've seen them at an air show. Um, But they're the Northrop T, so from like Northrop Grumman, which is now merged, but Northrop T-38 Talon. It's a two-seated twin jet supersonic jet trainer. So this was actually the world's first supersonic trainer and the most produced. It's got a top speed of 858 miles per hour. So it's not too large. Its wingspan's only about 24 feet, 11 inches. Um... And it weighs about just over like 7,000 pounds. So this is something that, uh, again, if you haven't checked it out and like looked up images of this of this uh, fighter jet, it's a really important thing um, that they're going to have to be able to not only fly, but fly quite a lot of times, um, getting enough hours in. So that's something that is, again, it really differentiates between going to space as a space tourist and... Going to space um, as a NASA trained astronaut. And so, this is kind of, I guess, where you might have heard about some of the controversy of when, like, Virgin Galactic's launch was happening, and all of a sudden everyone was called an astronaut. And there was, like, some back and forth um, just online and in the news about, well, but do they really, should they really be considered an astronaut because they didn't go through all the training that other astronauts usually would? And they have asked plenty of NASA trained astronauts like uh, Leland Melvin and Mike Massimino and Nicole Stott, like what they thought. And they all said like, well, I mean, they went to space, they, they earned it. And maybe, you know, even though maybe they didn't they, they technically cross the Carmen line, but they still underwent this experience of getting beyond earth and seeing the curvature of the planet. And, and that is exactly what an explorer is Um, That's exactly what the word astronaut means. And so I like that there was just so much more of a, 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 like an emotional philosophical point of view of that word, rather than a more, um, what what would be the the right way to kind of call it, rather than a more like uh, just technical point of view, uh, a a technical term of, okay, well, this means you have to have X amount of training and and so on and so forth. Uh, And again, I kind of understand both views, but at the same time, I think that, um, Sort of following the the philosophy of humanity, we make up these own rules and these own words anyway. And so, um, if someone finds themselves going on a tourist mission to space, they very well are an explorer of things beyond Earth, and in turn, I would say an astronaut. So that that that's a little <laughs> a little bit of my point of view. Uh, it's a little bit of rambling. Uh, so I, I'm kind of shocked right now that we're already approaching 16 minutes. Uh, so I've got a few more things I want us to go over, but I'm going to do a quick short musical break. It's really going to just be like 30, 30 seconds, but I'm just going to go ahead and do a quick music break. And then we will come back to continuing talking about NASA's candidates. Alrighty. Okay. So I was a quick break, but I, I like doing that with the music. It, it not only is helpful for me to sort of gather my thoughts for the ne- next half of the show. Um, but also to, we, you know, all of us want to, want to get up and take a little break every now and then. Um, so some of the other things I really want us to sort of jump into is once they graduate, what does that mean? Or do they automatically go to space or where are they going? What are some of the planned missions? So once they undergo this two-year training program at NASA's Johnson Space Center, which is in Houston, Texas, still have to visit that, by the way, I'm living in Texas, haven't gone to Houston, except for an, uh, like a, a layover on a plane, <laughs> definitely got to go there. So if you haven't gone there, totally go check it out too. Uh, but once they complete this, this two-year program, They will graduate with astronaut status, which now means that they are ready to go to space, starting with missions to the International Space Station. And uh, if you have seen any launches recently, you might already know that the way American astronauts are launching to space is off of U.S. soil again. So rather than going through, uh, launching out of Kazakhstan, so going through Russia and, and, and paying um, $81 million a seat on the Soyuz capsule, we are now launching on SpaceX's Crew Dragon. And the Crew Dragon is just awesome. I mean, not only is the launch really cool because you got stage separation happening and you see the boosters landing, but the capsule is so high tech. I mean, it's like science fiction. Uh, If you haven't seen it, it's literally just huge touch screens. Their astronaut gloves have like touch sensors on on the tip. Like if you've ever had a pair of gloves that are good for smartphones, this is basically what (laughs) Elon has has like uh, added into his, his, uh, I guess, whoever was the uh, designer of the spacesuits, but had them added in because obviously all the touch all the screens inside of the space capsule are touch super cool, super high tech. It basically looks like you're in a really fancy movie theater while you're launching the space. <laughs> it's just so awesome. So, um, that's, uh, a possible mission for them, um, is step one is kind of going to the international space station, conducting research. You've got two astrophysicists on board already, um, who have their backgrounds, uh, in, in that degree. Let me actually look that up real quick and see who it was. Um, We got molecular biophysics and biochemistry. That's uh, Christina Birch coming out of Arizona, University of Arizona. So that's really, really cool. And then, of course, bioengineering at MIT after that with her master's. Um, But let me check real quick who it was who is the astrophysicist. I believe it was Christopher Williams. Yeah, here we go. 38, grew up in Maryland graduated from Stanford University, bachelor's degree in physics, doctorate in physics, uh, and then he did his research in astrophysics. So um, that's so. now he had a little bit of a different route. He does not have anything written in his bio um, that has to do with any like defense force. So U.S. Navy, Air Force, none of that um, comes directly from a, I would say, more research uh, point of view. So I'm um, uh, but I also Harvard Medical School, so that's really important. <laughs> a lot, a lot of medical background. You're going to need that also on board. So that being said, there's a ton of research. I bet he's going to be able to do at the space station, and so that's just one of many examples of the new astronaut candidates. Of uh, once they do graduate to astronaut status, how they'll be able to um, maybe take up some of their own research and and conduct that on the space on the space station. Eventually, I know I mentioned SpaceX's Crew Dragon, but one day, once Boeing's CST-100 Starliner is out, that also will be launching people to the International Space Station, uh, which is also going to be really exciting. It kind of makes me wonder if we're going to see double the amount of launches happening um, or if it's more so going to kind of cut back on maybe SpaceX's contract um, because they'd want to launch people through both. Something else I'm curious about, and maybe we'll get into this in a future episode, but how much of a price difference it's going to cost for, say, like NASA to um, not rent, but pay SpaceX to launch their astronauts on the Dragon, as opposed to pay Boeing to launch their astronauts on Starliner. So I think that'll be really fun in a future episode to kind of talk like space commerce. And I really want to do an episode on space policy one time, too, because political science uh was my, was my original background, actually, in school. That's what I went into. Um, and I really think policy is really interesting and in politics. Um, but obviously, I just like space a lot more and <laughs> decided to go down the path of, of astronomy. Um, but getting back into this, so these would be kind of the introductory missions that we might see over the next two to four years would be once the astronauts finish their programming or finish their training, going to the space station, eventually... Then the plan would be to the moon. The moon, we, there's a few different um, potential missions of how people will be getting back to the moon. I already mentioned SLS, so the Space Launch System, massive, massive, um, heavy, heavy payload rocket um, that's built through, through NASA. And then you also have Starship Lunar. And Starship Lunar actually have a really cool 3D model. Um, I can't show you guys right now because this is um, audio only, but really cool um, model of how SpaceX is putting together their Starship Lunar. And the initial mission for Starship Lunar, correct me if I'm wrong, and you can call in for this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be used for the Dear Moon project. I think that's the first mission for Starship Lunar is Dear Moon. Um, which is with uh, Yusaku Maizawa, Japanese billionaire who is paying for eight artists, including himself, to go to the moon. But they're not landing. They're just going to be orbiting around the moon for, I think it was three three days around the moon and then return. Um, And so that's going to be really cool. Uh, But once that starts, uh, I predict, but not necessarily just I'm saying it, this is something that I, I'm pretty sure I've read elsewhere, but Starship Lunar, why not use it also for um, for governmental projects, for for NASA to launch their astronauts to the moon and start setting up, um, say, like lunar habitats, for instance. So this is going to be a really important factor to not only space tourism, but also to these astronaut candidates. Um, so let's see now. So that, that, was, that was the summary basically of what I wanted to include about where they would be going. Um, I do want to get a little bit more into what were my initial questions. What that means, we covered that. Are they automatically picked? I didn't really answer that question, but kind of. So once they undergo the, that, again, the training, that's when eventually they, they may have the chance to, to, to go on a mission. It's not that they're automatically picked once they finish and they graduate, they're now on like the, the the roster to potentially go. I was similar during the Apollo missions, um, same exact thing. The, the good, good thing for them is that there's a lot of expressed interest right now and more people going to space. And so the longer that the space program stays open, so longer that the Artemis program stays open and there's this continuous interest in going to space and continuous funding and effort, From globally, I would say, worldwide, that would only increase their chances for every single one of them also to go to space. And then eventually the next round of astronaut candidates and maybe you and me one day, which would be really, really awesome. So um, which then also the next question was, who gets to go? We did answer that. That was, um, again, having that uh, at least a master's in some type of STEM related field. A 1,000 hours of uh, flight time, um, and then also being able to pass NASA's physical before being considered. Uh, We mentioned the training that they'll be having to do. Estimated timeline of launch to the moon or Mars. So to the moon is estimated right now, to be the earliest would be 2025. Uh, To Mars, that is something that I would say is a little bit more down the line. Um, That definitely is a goal of the Artemis Artemis program. Um, if you haven't seen any of those Artemis program infographics, I highly recommend checking those out. Um, they're so great. Uh, maybe just type into Google like uh, Artemis program infographic Mars or moon. Um, so I think it was by Artemis 3 or Artemis 4, is when NASA has the plan to eventually get to Mars. Um, And I know, of course, at that same exact time is when um, SpaceX also wants to do a mission to Mars. So that's really exciting. That will be with Starship, and um, I believe that's what their goal is right now with Starship. Uh, And there and potential contracts between NASA and SpaceX to use SpaceX's rockets to eventually do one of these future lunar and Martian missions. Uh, we spoke a little bit about the Apollo program. So that was that was really exciting. Um, and let's see. And of course, yeah, we we basically covered everything here. Why are two out of ten of them not from government governmental defense sectors, i.e. The, the Navy, Air Force, Military. Um again, a a big reason for that is the amount of flight hours you have to have in, the amount of training um coming from these backgrounds is a huge show to um, a government-run agency like NASA that, hey, I, I have this background, I have this knowledge, I have the training that's accepted by other U.S. defense forces. So when it comes to space defense, this is probably something that's going to really fit in well, especially with, you know, when, when the face, Space Force ended up being developed. Um, so anyway, that that is just about everything um, for this segment um, of, of the astronaut candidates. Again, the press release did come out on nasa.gov. So just check that out. It's so cool. Um, It has like a detailed breakdown of all of the the different uh, candidates' bios, which is really cool. One more thing I did want to mention. I already highlighted quite a few of the candidates and and read all their names at the beginning of the podcast. But I do want to highlight one more, which is... The U.S. Air, uh, sorry, the Burnham. Um, so uh, this is where we go. Sorry, Ayers. Let me grab Ayers real quick for you. This was Nicole Ayers, 32, U.S. Air Force major, um, originally from Colorado. Really, really cool. But her something really interesting about her bio. Um, she was is one of the very few women that is currently flying the F-22 for the Air Force. And she led the first ever all woman formation of the aircraft in combat, which is like really, really cool. I didn't even know that was that was a thing. I I think that it's just something really powerful to even think about just being a woman myself is like just like all like all women formation of aircraft in combat. That's so cool. Um, And this this is really like a a, I would say an important factor of the Artemis mission and what this even means. what it stands for. So that's something really cool. I Just want to throw that out there. Um, but that's that's basically everything I wanted to go over with you guys for uh, the new Artemis generation, the ten new astronaut candidates. Um, I'm really excited to follow their journey for the next two years. Um, and that is, yeah, that, that's a, that's just about everything. I'm um, gonna okay, give you guys a heads up for upcoming podcasts. So I'm going to do another one tomorrow, and this is going to have a breakdown with the details of a comet that's visible right now. You might have seen it in the news or heard about it maybe on like social media somewhere. Comet Leonard. It is going to reach peak visibility December 12th or, or sorry, peak closeness, that's when it's closest to earth in its orbit. Peak visibility is December 17th. Um and right now it's visible early in the in the morning sky. After the 12th, it's going to become visible in the evening sky and um Yeah, it's going to be visible all month long. um, And I'm going to give a full breakdown of how you guys can see it in tomorrow's podcast. Um, I'm so excited for that. I've tried hunting for for comets in the past. haven't really had the best luck with it. But hopefully this one we can catch and hopefully you can too. All right. So that is about everything. Thank you all so much um, for joining today's podcast of Space Talk. um, And until next time, Ad Astra.